In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. This has become a cycle that you can rely upon in Canadian federal politics. It goes like this. The Conservative Party seeks a new leader, and in order to secure the job, the candidate has to court the ultra-conservative base of the party. They manage to do it, and they win the leadership, and then they have to somehow contort themselves into appealing to suburban centrists, too. And that, of course, ticks off the base, who don't want any concessions, and around and around we go until Justin Trudeau wins himself another minority government. Six months into Pierre Polyev's turn in the CPC hot seat, however, that cycle hasn't started yet. The other day, Justin Trudeau was at a big party, 2,000 wealthy liberal lobbyists saying that we should stop all the complaining. Well, everybody in that room has nothing to complain about. They're doing very well. It's been an all-you-can-eat buffet for the, for the lobbyists and the insiders in Ottawa. As we begin the year, the conservative base is still very fired up about their new leader, and rightly so, as he's been laser-focused on them and not the suburban centrists since he won the job last year. But will that matter to the outcome of a federal election should we get one in 2023? Can Polyev gain more from that base than he loses by catering to them? At the very least, it's a different tack than his predecessors have taken. But can it work? And how? What would an election this year look like anyway? In the middle of interest rates and inflation and everything else that can make this future seem so uncertain. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Stephen Marr is an award-winning Canadian journalist, one of our favorite guests on this show. He's a novelist, he's a Harvard Neiman Fellow, and he's a contributing author to the Center for International Governance Innovation. Hello, Stephen. Morning. I want to ask you, because it, it seems like it's been about six months now since Pierre Polyev took over Canada's Conservative Party. Is it is it fair to say that when he was elected, he was done so by a fired-up base? And and has he delivered for that base? Uh, both a resounding yes. His candidacy for the, the uh, Conservative Party leadership was phenomenally successful, more so in, uh, even than uh, Stephen Harper's back in the day. Uh, the party rallied behind him, um, and uh, they signed up a, a huge number of new members, largely people from who were sympathetic to the Freedom Convoy. Right. These are people who are opposed to vaccine mandates, for instance. Since then, he has ignored advice from people who would say, oh, well, uh, you're giving 
too much attention to those people. Uh, and he is stuck with them. And uh, we can see as a result that he seems to have a quite a solid uh, connection to, to that part of the electorate. So there's a lot that goes into winning a national federal election that we can discuss. Uh, but you recently wrote a big piece in The Walrus on Polyev, which is why we're talking today. And it was called The Secret to His Success. So I'm going to ask you two questions about that. The first is, what do you mean by success in this context? Are you talking about simply winning the leadership or what? Yes, I suppose. I'm, uh, I, I should mention two things in um, a response. One is that I, I wrote that with uh, pollster Frank Graves. And um, the other is, you know, reporters don't write the headlines. But he, uh, he has been hugely successful within the conservative sphere. We won't know until there's a general election how that um, success will translate with voters outside of the current coalition. But yeah, no, he is, he is, uh, got the party behind him, the caucus, any grumbling among uh, people who didn't support him is uh, being done off stage. And uh, he seems to be uh, in a solid position. So the second question then is simply, uh, what's the secret? What's making him different as leader from Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer, uh, two guys who aspired to the same thing? Well, I, I think that uh, there's sort of different answers depending on, you know, O'Toole and, and Scheer are different characters. O'Toole, the convoy did him in. He struck me as... Uh, a sort of centrist person, someone more likely to appeal to middle-of-the-road Canadian voters. But he produced uncertainty among the, the sort of more conservative base, particularly in Western Canada, inside the caucus. And when the convoy arrived in, in Ottawa, he took kind of a lukewarm view, and uh, there was a caucus revolt, and they ditched him. So there's no danger. Uh, there's no danger of any sort of uh, Polyev facing that kind of uh, a revolt from the sort of convoy side of the party mm -hmm. because he is being very careful not to let any light get between them and him under, uh, uh, you know, he, he's under pressure to distance himself from, uh, from that movement and uh, he does not do so. Sheer is a somewhat uh, different example in that I think that the, the party, he's ideologically in a similar place to uh, Polyev. They're friends and allies. and uh, But Sheer, I think, uh, a after running uh, the, the uh, 2019 election, people just felt that he couldn't win, that, that he hadn't been able to, to sell the message effectively. So as we look ahead to 2023. And in a bit, we can talk about, will there be an election? What might that look like, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the themes that you and Mr. Graves got at in your piece uh, was the rise of effective polarization in Canada. So can you explain what that is and, and how do we see it working on the ground with voters at the polls? Well, effective polarization, this is an expression that comes from academic research, is the, the idea that... Um, certain groups of voters become increasingly hostile, not just to a party, but to other groups of voters. Right. I, I mean, you see it as clear as day in the United States. And Canada has, has lagged on that front, but uh, the pandemic and the mandates 
and the political debate about those mandates has led to a rise in effective polarization. I think it was crystallized by the convoy in a way, and that you have these people coming from across Canada to Ottawa. And uh, if you observe their internal communications on their telegram channels and their bulletin boards and so on, they would say, well, these people uh, are complaining that we're inconveniencing them. And good, because they're a bunch of liberal Ottawa dirtbags anyway. Hmm. And then you had the reaction of the people of Ottawa you know, there, there were times when there was almost violence between the citizens of Ottawa and the occupiers. So right. I think that provides a pretty clear example of how uh, effective polarization has developed in Canada. I don't think we've seen anywhere near this level of the threat of political violence. There were times in the national unity struggles in the 70s. You know, we have a, a big divide now with chunks of voters looking at each other with suspicion and hostility. And when we talk about Polyev and his strategy, I want to be clear here that I'm not trying to do the, you know, is he like Trump thing that uh, that we love to do in Canada with, with many of our conservative politicians. That's not what I'm getting at. But how does Polyev lean into effective polarization uh, in a similar way? And can it work here? I know you've mentioned we've kind of caught up to the U.S. Uh, over the pandemic, but it maybe still feels to me like the climate isn't quite the same, or at least we don't want to feel like the climate is the same. What uh, Graves and I try to do in the article is put Polyev in the context of international populists, not just Trump, but Berlusconi and Orban. And uh, there's been a movement in the last decade of sort of authoritarian populists in uh, a number of countries, uh, from the Philippines to Brazil. And in in some ways, Polyev resembles them in that he's using the classic populist playbook where you say, I am with the people, I represent the will of the people, and the elites are denying the people what they want and what they should get. On the other hand, there are several ways in which he is not following this pattern. He does not use vulgar, sexist, or racist language uh, as a rule. Uh, there are people who would point to things he said in the house when he was a young man that would, you know, but it, it's, he's not doing any of that in a calculated way as part of his appeal to the electorate. And also on immigration, he is not delivering anti-immigration messages. So he's, you, you might call him a semi-populist. I think of it as populism light. And one of the things that's going on here is that in Canada, there does not appear to be at this time, an electorally workable coalition that involves anti-immigrant messages. Uh, in comparison with um, most similar countries, we have uh, greater ease uh, and comfort with um, uh, high levels of immigration and the, for historical reasons. We just set a record last year, I believe. That's right. And there is virtually no one who elected to public office in Canada who speaks against that. So one of the reasons I didn't ask if Polyev was like Trump is because whenever we have a federal election, he will be uh, the third conservative leader that Justin Trudeau, if, if he is indeed the leader of the Liberal Party at that time or whoever is, he'll be the third conservative politician the Liberals have painted with that brush. It's been really effective for them. Can it still work, particularly against Polyev? I think it may work better 
uh, against Polyev than it has uh, in previous elections. Polyev is doing very well with his base, uh, but the polling shows that his negative numbers outside his base are, from his perspective, worryingly high. In particular, as this works out electorally, we'll want to see uh, what his candidacy does to new Democrats who may be tempted to vote liberal to stop him. Some of the polling that uh, Graves did for this Walrus article, he found that uh, Aliyev had 70% unfavorable numbers among new Democrats. Right. At a riding level? Having covered a you know a number of federal elections and paid attention to what happens at the riding, he then becomes quite vulnerable to uh, liberal rally around the liberals' arguments. So I think that that that, that he faces uh, a difficult challenge in ex- extending you know in winning more seats. On the other hand, the polling also shows that Canadians are tired of Justin Trudeau. Uh, or a large number of Canadians are leaders have a sort of best before date, and hmm. his um, he, he's been in office for quite a while. So you have these two competing factors, and anyone who tells you in advance of an election how how they will uh, play out is uh, talking through their hat. You just can't know really. Former uh, NDP leader Thomas Mulcair uh, recently said that he thinks we will get an election in 2023. Do you think we will? And more importantly, um, if we do, what do you expect from it? I'm not asking you to make a prediction, as you as you just mentioned, and talk out of your hat. But what would that election be like this year? Uh, what Polyev would try to do is to make it into a referendum on liberal economic management and that, you know, we have uh, unusually high inflation for the first time. He, he has done a, an excellent job of crystallizing a message around affordability and housing. And, uh, you know, this is especially likely to appeal to young men. There's a huge gender divide among the youth vote with the women uh, supporting the liberals and the NDP and uh, conservatives supporting uh, Polyev. Yeah. And you would see the liberals trying to hang the convoy around uh, Polyev's neck like a stinking albatross, I think. One of the things, uh, as we talk about effective polarization, as we talk about this this divide and uh, how it happens in the U.S. and then creeps up here and, and speeds up, one of the things I've taken some comfort from, I think, and I think a lot of people have, has been the difference in the faith in the electoral system and, you know, government institutions in general. Um, where does Polyev fit into that? Will he be attacking that? Will that hold up? Yeah, so the the research on populism shows that the rise of effective polarization, which creates sort of disorder and intense uh, arguments, can be upsetting to people which makes them then yearn for a more authoritarian choice. Now, to, to say that Polyev represents authoritarianism would be to go too far hmm. in that he's not talking about locking people up or silencing his opponents or taking any kind of drastic steps like that. So I want to be um, careful about this. But his most important role in Canadian politics pre- prior to announcing his um, candidacy for the leadership of the Conservative Party was as uh, uh, Minister for Democratic Reform. 
mm-hmm. where he proposed changes to the Canada Elections Act that the other parties and civil society groups felt were destructive. And he, at that time and later, attacked Elections Canada, basically uh, portraying them as a bunch of liberal lapdogs. Hmm. And that kind of thing, I found it, uh, observing it at the time, corrosive and worrying in that he was um, eroding public trust in our uh, electoral institution. Which is not to say that everything that he said was wrong. He, he, you know, any institution can be criticized, and including Elections Canada. But by portraying them as a bunch of liberals, I don't think that is right. Having observed Elections Canada probably as closely as any journalist in Canada, I do not believe they are liberal lapdogs. I believe that they are dedicated to running elections in a, a fair and even-handed way. And so I found that disturbing that you have um, a politician who is willing to uh, advance his own political interests by eroding Canadians' faith in this uh, institution, which, when we look at what happens in the United States and the way the trouble they have with their elections, and you look at Canada, you know, I, I would laugh at anyone who uh, suggests that we have anything to learn from the Americans. People come from around the world to uh, find out how we run our elections in Canada. It's, it's the oldest um, nonpartisan electoral institution in the world. Yeah. Uh, it has its problems, but uh, it, it should be an example to the world. And um, I found that sort of one of these things about Polyev where you say, well, he is a very uh, determined partisan character and he may not always uh, balance competing perspectives in a way that, uh, you know, most Canadians would like. The last question, because I guess it could decide whether or not Elections Canada gets a, a workout in 2023. How strong is the Liberal Party uh, NDP confidence agreement? And and if it falls, you know, what's likely to cause that? Well, I, I, liberals, senior liberals have told me that they're worried that they're moving through the... Uh, checklist uh more quickly than they would like because that's going to bring them to a point where the ndp presents fresh demands what i have observed is that the ndp uh new democrats who i talk to or these are senior people are pleased with it they're they're enjoying the sort of access and influence that they have right i know a lot of conservative commentators will say uh Oh, the NDP got suckered here, and they're not getting anything for it, and they look like uh, lapdogs. I, I don't think that's the way the New Democrats feel. Uh, the unease is seems more to be on uh, the liberal side, but the liberals are also relieved not to face that sort of um, daily um, game of chicken in the house. But who knows? The, the it's not knowable that the, the uh, these people play their cards pretty close to their chest and. Uh, Certainly, the traditional dynamic is that these deals are electorally bad for the junior partner. Right. So the Democrats or the New Democrats may face um, pressure to pull the rug out and say, "Look, we just couldn't put up with this anymore." If there is a serious scandal like SNC Lavalin level scandal where the the Liberals um, uh, look unethical, then the whole co- house of cards could collapse. In the absence of that, I, if I had to bet, I would say that the deal will continue uh, through the year and we won't have an election. It'll be fascinating to watch and uh, fascinating to see if 
Polyev ever does kind of move to court uh, the voters that he would need to win a general, right? Yeah, I, I find it interesting. It, it appears to me, if you look at the last election, the conservatives lost uh, a number of votes to the People's Party. In most cases, those are not consequential votes. They are, you know, a few percentage points in ridings where the conservatives win by a large amount. Mm -hmm. But I know that that was part of the dynamic that led to the ouster of O'Toole, is that that was quite worrying to uh, to more conservative uh, conservatives. And strategically, you look at it in a way, it really is bad for the conservatives to have a populist party on their right. Mm -hmm. So if they can swallow the People's Party, get rid of Maxime Bernier, there really are advantages uh, to the conservatives. But to do that, Polyev is going to have to stay uh, very cozy with that portion of, of the, uh, the electorate. Like the, the strategy of it makes sense in a way. Uh, but that's, I think that's going to make it difficult for him uh, to make inroads in um, the greater Toronto area and uh, Quebec. And you can't win an election without doing so. I feel like I've seen that movie uh, three or four times now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything, you know, the patterns keep repeating themselves. Stephen, thank you so much for this. My pleasure. Stephen Marr writing about Pierre Polyev along with Frank Graves in The Walrus. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca if you really, really want more. You can subscribe to TBS Plus on Apple Podcasts. We've released our first bonus episode there today. It'll be available for non-subscribers in a couple of weeks. But really, if you want to get it, go get it. And you also get the benefit of this show with no ads. It's up to you, of course, five episodes a week. Hello at the big story or you can call us and leave us a message 416-935-5935. You can find the big story for free, as I mentioned, in every podcast player. You only have to subscribe if you want to support us. Network, CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.